0: Merry Christmas to you. Happy New Year. It is uh, one of the wonderful graces of the church calendar that today is just the uh, fourth day, fifth day of Christmas. And uh, you got, you know, seven more days for the full 12 days of Christmas. So whatever you didn't get done um, uh, for Christmas and your list and cards to be sent and all the rest, Um, you still got seven more days. So take a deep breath, and if anybody gives you a hard time, you tell them you're standing on the history of the church and celebrating the 12 days of Christmas. And if they don't like that, then sing to them the 12 days of Christmas, and they won't bother you anymore. There, There is an awful lot that goes into Christmas celebration, a whole lot that goes on behind the scenes in all that people put together around Christmas and lights and presents and cookies and trips and and all the rest. But today, we're going to look behind the scenes at the events of Christmas in maybe a way we haven't looked at before or certainly not very often do we look behind the scenes at what happened on Christmas Day and the spiritual battle that occurred on Christmas? You know, it's like a, an iceberg. You know the iceberg principle that you, you see the iceberg above the water and usually it's about 10%, 10 to 20% of the entire iceberg. You know, it's all real. It's all all the real iceberg, but there's stuff on the surface and then all the stuff below the surface, Um, in in a sense behind the curtain, or all the stuff shoved in the closet. Christmas is no different, and we're going to look below the surface today to get a real peek of what the material world shows us. Of what is happening in the spiritual world. That, that part of the world that we don't see always. That we don't experience. That we don't touch. That we can't measure. We're going to look behind the nativity. Uh, we're, we're going to look beyond the material world. And we see, even in the events around Christmas that we can see, we notice that there are a whole bunch of angels popping their heads into our world. Angels show up with Joseph and Elizabeth and Mary. They show up to shepherds, and there are lights in the skies that are speaking to the wise men that are telling us there's a whole bunch going on here in the spiritual world, a spiritual battle even, A war that's raging between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil. A kingdom of life and love and a kingdom of destruction. So, the first place we're going to look here is then in Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. Not usually a customary Christmas passage. And certainly not one that we've put into a cartoon, or that Disney's got a hold of, or we've seen carols about. Before we read it, uh, it's uh, Revelation 12, or found on page 1001 in your pew Bible. But let's, uh, let's pray. Dear Father, thank You for Your written Word. Thank You for the ways that You reveal Yourself to us and that You speak to us of what what goes on and that reality beyond what we can see, taste, feel, and measure. And may Your Spirit now speak to us of that truth, um, of the, the, the true victory that Christmas brings. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, Revelation uh, chapter twelve, starting with uh, verse one, and we'll go through verse twelve. A great portent appeared in heaven. Well, first you wonder what is a portent. Well, it's just another way of saying a real big sign, uh, uh, maybe even an ominous sign of of realities of things that are that are happening in realities that you just can't put into words. You have to have a picture. You have to have a dance. You have to have poetry. So a great portent appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pangs, in the agony of giving birth. Now, you might think, okay, I know the Christmas story, and woman pregnant, that's Mary. So this must be some weird symbol of Mary. Well, not quite. This is actually, the, the woman here represents the people of God since the beginning. Uh, Abraham, um, Isaac, Jacob, the, Moses, David, the, the, the people of God. Israel in the, the Old Testament. And, and they are the ones that are, in a sense, pregnant. With the promise of God. The promise of God to bring a Messiah, an anointed one, a rescuer to them. And over the court and so this, this picture, even though for us it seems rather quick, in the scheme of things, it lasts about a thousand years. That's a long birth, I know. But that's what this picture represents. A thousand years. to so this woman and the you know the twelve stars, the twelve tribes of Israel and she is pregnant giving birth. Now, Mary is the ultimate fulfillment of the one who is pregnant, literally, with the rescuer in her womb. But the people of God, the people of Israel, they have been, in a sense, pregnated with the promise of God to bring a Messiah, a rescue to them, since the beginning. And so that is what is happening here. All right. So... You see the the portent of the woman, the the ominous sign of the woman in the skies in birth, agony giving birth. Then verse 3. Then another portent appeared in heaven, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail sweeps down a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child so that he might devour her child as soon as it was born. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron. But her child was snatched away and taken to God and to his throne and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God so that there she can be nourished for 1,260 days. Now you can get lost in all these numbers and all the rest. The basic point here is that Israel was given the promise and was carrying that promise and fulfilled it in Mary who was a daughter of Israel who was then gave birth to Jesus who was the son of David who was a, a child of Israel. Who was the great savior of the world? But in the heavenlies, there was the evil one was ready to pounce upon him to destroy him because he was the beginning of the salvation, the, the fulfillment of God's promise. And God protected him, and then protected her, and her being the people of God after Jesus, being the church even though there was this huge destructive force of evil, the evil one himself, ready to devour and destroy. And in verse 7, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but they were defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven proclaiming, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our comrades has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. But they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not cling to life even in the face of death. Rejoice then. Don't cry. Rejoice then, you heavens. And those who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Now, so then the battle rages in the heavenly. A spiritual battle that we only catch little pieces of. A battle that that didn't involve bullets and bombs. but, But spiritual war between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And we're told then, through this battle, that then the war is won. That that the war has been completed. Victory has been given to the kingdom of God. Victory has been given to the Messiah, to Jesus, the Anointed One, who not only through His birth, through His life, through His death, and the power of His resurrection, has assured the end result of the war being waged. But we then live, as you finish the, the proclamation of the angels, that, the, that we rejoice, but now on earth, the battle still rages between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this earth. Now, <clears throat> I know that's not the usual Christmas story, but that's what's going on behind the scenes. Under, under the surface, the, the spiritual battle that has raged and that has been completed and that we're still a part of now. Now there are, though, some events around Jesus' birth that have direct correlation to what we just read from John in Revelation. And these are the events that happen um, immediately or after. They're recorded in Matthew, particularly, um, after Jesus' birth. Now what's going on here is that the wise men who we just had presented to us following the star. The, the wise men had gone first, they'd gone to seek Herod. Herod was the king. Now, Herod was not a nice guy. Um, he was rather, and we'll see, he was evil, destructive, a lot like the destruction that the dragon that we read about in Revelation but they went to Herod and Herod played nice with them and they said we're following these signs because we know the Messiah, the rescuer he he is among us and so we're going to go see him and Herod said oh good we'll pass on my greetings and come back to me after you see him and tell us tell me where he is so I can then personally greet him well the wise men on their way had another word from the Lord and they told them you know Herod's not really playing nice, so don't go back and see him. Go visit the king, lay down your lives and your gifts, but then go on your merry way. And that's where we pick up um, the events in Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 13, on page 784 in your pew Bible or on the screen. And they're really what we call here the flight to Egypt where Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, as refugees, um, flee to Egypt, and also the slaughter of the innocents when Herod Herod blows a gasket, and when he finds out that the wise men haven't come back to him. Now, after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and they being the wise men. And the angel said, Get up! Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I've called my son. But when Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the wise man, he was infuriated. And he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under according to the time that he had learned from the wise man. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are No more. So here, because of the crazed, destructive king of the day, Jesus, who's the savior of the world, becomes a refugee into the land of Egypt with his mother and his father. And the the crazed evil of Herod then comes through and destroys The children in and around that area, two years old and younger. When we talk about real Christmas and we talk about real life, we mean all of life. Real life from the part that is joyous and the part that is absolutely evil that we face. Jesus has faced it. The story, the events of Jesus' life include it. And we have to to recognize that that we not domesticate all that occurs in the manger. That, that That we not just make it a nice, pretty story for a season of snow, but we recognize the spiritual battle that is won at the manger as we face real evil in our real lives, and as Jesus does the same. That we continue in that battle today, seeking to be followers of Jesus for righteousness, for love. For the victory, living in the victory of love that we know has won the war. That we seek to win the battles in our own lives. The last passage I want us to look at is in Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 14. And this is one of Paul's um, ways of of describing um, Christmas as he's talking to, to Titus. And he he gives us this this insight of the real-life battle that we're in that comes because of the incarnation of God becoming human. Uh, It's uh, 969 in your pew Bible or on the screen. Starting with verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. I mean, that's Jesus. That is the incarnation right there. He is the grace of God personified, the love of God, the gift of God personified. His forgiveness, His mercy is right there all in flesh and blood in this tiny baby who has brought salvation to all who will receive it. But notice, you know, a lot of times that's where we stop. We just stop there, sort of at that notion of, oh, salvation, good, I'll take it. But then, the, the rest of the story, But he, he is all, the grace of God has appeared to bring salvation to all, but then he doesn't even stop, that just barely gives a comma. Training us to renounce impiety and worldly passion and in the present age to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly while we wait for the blessed hope in the manifestation of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He it is who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people of his own who are zealous for good deeds. This grace of God has come, yes, to win the war and now to train us for the battles of this real life that we face until he returns. He is here, two words to to notice here, what he has brought, what Christmas has brought. One, training. Not instantaneous. Not instantaneous change, but training us according to the ways of God, according to what is right, according to what is filled with love, according to what is self-controlled, according to what is God's character and plan. He is training us. To face real life and the real battles that he knows go on just below the surface. And then the second word there is wait. Not a passive waiting, obviously. And it's an active waiting where we look for the one who first came as a servant king in a manger and who one day will return as a full-blown warrior king, to end the battles once and for all. But until that day, we're we're in the training. We're in the training for the battles of real life. Jesus didn't come to just give us a ticket to the glory train of salvation to come, and we just sort of waited out. We wait expectantly while we're in training that He gives us for the real-life battles that we face. As we face the, the struggles and challenges of this broken world. As we, we, cha- we, we face the, the head-on collisions with evil that are around us and even within us. As we turn the corner into next year, as you turn the corner into next year. What are the ways that God is training you? What are are the ways that that, that Jesus is preparing you to to face the evil struggles and battles that are above the surface and those that are below? How is He leading you into the ways of God? How is He leading you into the ways of righteousness To be the people that Jesus has come to gather together who are energized, zealous, Paul tells us, for good deeds. What's he training us for? To even see ourselves as a community of people who are in training so that we're energized and zealous for the good stuff that he has us to do In the world around us. That's. The real life. Living out. Of a real Christmas. Amen.